guys, welcome to episode 11 of Color and Emotion. I'm realizing now in this moment that I forgot to find something to soften my voice. <laughs> the mic that I got that I thought was going to work for me is not going to work for me. So here we are with basic iPad sound. My brother continues to harass me about the quality of my sound while also not sending me new equipment. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, okay, episode 11. On this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be celebrating, by way of this episode, my sweet 16 spiritually and sharing three key internet one-liners that have significantly impacted the way I move through the world in my 30s. So I realized the other day that as of next week, I'm coming up on 16 sweet years of walking with King Jesus, whom I love just so much, so, so much more than anything, honestly. Um, I have shared some of my testimony before on episodes two and three of this podcast. So if you're interested to hear about my personal journey towards a discernible moment of conversion, you're more than welcome to go give those installments a listen. As I was reflecting on the past 16 years, um, I was remembering the sincerity with which I asked God to ensure that I only ever found my identity in him. I was like 16, I was like, God, I just only ever wanna find my identity in you. And I was just like (laughs) super sincere about it. And I still, that is still my prayer. Um, Fun fact though, one of the things that God delivered me from when I was a teenager was materialism. We didn't have a lot of money growing up and I am someone who is particularly sensitive to and aware of my physical environment and the quality of my life and the aesthetic and functionality of the things that I use and interact with every day. I didn't know then that I'm an artist or a quote unquote sensor, if you will, on like Myers-Briggs, I'm an ISTJ. Um, But I spent hours really studying the lifestyles of the rich and the famous via VH1 and MTV, genuinely interested in this other way of living that seemed both very far from what I was experiencing, but also very attainable because they were just people like me. Like I remember one day having a thought (laughs) that I was like, it must have been like a Saturday and I was just like in my room or whatever. I'm like, it's not like Beyonce lives on another planet. Like she's on the same planet I'm on right now doing something on a Saturday. It's not like these people are of a different kind of person. You know, Um, my mom always just raised us with like, people are people. We didn't grow up really being encouraged to like idolize celebrities. So I don't really have that thing about it. Like I can definitely respect and give, you know, deference to or celebrate somebody who's like super good at their craft or you know top of their field or whatever but I don't tend to have I've had like maybe three celebrity crushes my whole life half of them are like girl crushes because they're just like I think this person's so cool Beyonce's not one of them no shade but she's not and (laughs) then the other one is like this one okay so bootstraps Jordan Beckett out of LA I think he's originally from the Pacific Northwest but he's like literally the coolest man I've ever seen like His music is awesome. He just has like this vibe about him and the way that he writes feels very familiar to me. 
And so I just think it would be really cool to like actually meet and have a genuine conversation with him about his art and about his path towards creating art. And also he's like best friends with the guy who played Joel on Parenthood. And Joel was like my favorite character and I used to get so salty at Julia because didn't she cheat on him? Okay, sorry. I super digressed. So anyways, um, I used to spend hours watching these people on TV and I remember also like before um, social media influencing was a thing, there was the TV guide and they had these like bare mineral makeup tutorials and I would just watch that same lady just like use his bare minerals and all the women were just like, so pretty and put together and they're like swirl tap and buff and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So for those of you who can think back to like 2005, 2006, 2007, this is the acceleration of reality TV. Season one of the Kardashians, drama the man dime joins the cast of Robin Big, my super sweet 16, the fabulous life, like all these different shows and I logged hours, which probably accounts for why I'm completely burned out on TV and don't watch it at all now. But back then that was like, I was just very fascinated by the psychology of that lifestyle and about those people who just found themselves in these environments and circles. So to me, there was always some degree of status involved, but it was also always about the quality of the material goods and the craftsmanship and the comfort of having everything you need and knowing it's gonna last. Like what I like about well-built things is the reliability. Um, again, I don't put as much stock nearly as I used to in like personality testing and all that, but it can be helpful. And like being someone who does classify as a sentinel and as a sensor, like when you can just rely on your stuff to work, <laughs> it's just like the best thing ever. So I wanted to be wealthy, but I didn't really care about fame. What I really wanted was to have beauty in my life and material security. And I wanted my external needs to be met aesthetically. And at some point I developed a warped relationship about me having my needs met or not. And what that communicated about my worth as a person. But thankfully, when Jesus flooded my heart and brought with him an appetite for the word, I came across Luke 12, 15, where Jesus says to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so that barrage of like images on reality TV and also the atmosphere of public high school where like your whole identity really is wrapped up in if you have the coolest thing or not for a lot of people, that was the backdrop of my prayer for an established identity. It was a desire for me to not be re-ensnared by the talons of greed and materialism, but also to not find my identity in my GPA or the college I got into or the wisdom everyone said I had for my age or the husband and babies and super cute house that I was so sure were all right on the horizon. <laughs> so I think that I thought that me only ever finding my identity in Jesus meant that I would somehow supernaturally be completely unaffected by the pull of my flesh toward notoriety and status and aesthetic. It did not occur to me that the answer to that prayer would be found in a decade of wilderness and obscurity. So at the time, that prayer combined with the gem of Luke 12, 15 resulted in my desire for functionality and well-made things becoming properly aligned. And for quite a long while, stuff 
became completely irrelevant to me in pursuit of the kingdom. I genuinely just did not think about stuff for many, many years, and it was glorious. In the past few years, however, I realized that some of what helped with that was just being young and therefore not having fallen short of societal standards to attain XYZ by a certain age, and also being in Berkeley, California, and spending all my time with church planning friends who also didn't care anything about that. Um, one of the things about Berkeley that is like super whimsical and grew on me is the culture of gleaning, which I kind of termed it that because it reminded me of like in the Bible, built into the law, God has this provision for people who are poor, where when um, the Hebrew people were like harvesting their crops, he told them, like, if something falls on the ground, don't go back and get it. Just leave it for somebody to come behind you because they might have need for it. And in Berkeley, there's this culture of like people just put random stuff out in front of their house <laughs> to be collected by inspired passersby and just kind of like whether that person is homeless or whether that person just like, oh, this is cool. And they just like want that for whatever reason. And I always thought that was really cool. And what I found living in the Bay Area Ironically, because when you cross the bridge to get into the city, it can be a whole different story. But in the East Bay, the fundamental practicality of the hipsterism that was like marking that era, because I lived, I moved to the Bay Area in 2012. So there was like, it was still kind of like the hipster time period. And what I saw was that what some people considered trend setting was really at its core, like a group of people who were just grateful for and creative with what they had. And it was a return to simplicity and understated sustainability, largely because the cost of living was already on the cusp of outrageous. So it wasn't like these people were like setting out to be hipsters. It's like, I have this brown parchment. I'm gonna put my lunch in it and reuse it because I can and because I don't have money for anything else. So it's like when you live in that, then you see like, oh, okay, like it was really actually a true lifestyle for certain people. And then of course, it got swooped on as like a trend. And then ironically, people make a lot of money off of this idea of like simplicity and sustainability, but also not the point of this podcast. Being in my 30s though, 30 plus on the other side of devastating heartbreak and in the Southeast as opposed to the West Coast because people age differently, East and West Coast. Like I had a running joke with one of my friends and then she saw somebody had posted on like one of those overheard social media accounts. Like East Coast 30 is way different than West Coast 30. It just really is. So to come back to the East Coast, and feel like I didn't have anything to quote unquote show for my life was a whole different story. And it was a lot more challenging to continue to press into, you know what, my identity is in Jesus, especially as other people who are younger than me seem to be making more progress in life as measured by achievements and marriages and babies and homes. So very long story truncated, 2021 and 2022, were probably the hardest collection of months of my life to date, which is saying a lot, <laughs> but it's true. And I realized during that time and embedded in that phrase of like having something to show for your life that I had gotten off in my heart and me not being able to find my identity in any of those things, even if I wanted to, because I didn't have them, caused me to become put out with God and like offended at him. But as I was like, 
being honest with him about it, <clears throat> I feel like the Holy Spirit was like, well, having something to show for your life implies an on-looking audience, which begs the question, have something to show to who? <laughs> you know, like God already knows my life and he can see what no one else can see because he can see my heart. And so while I was comforted by the great pleasure that I knew God had in my faith and in my endurance and my cooperation with his development of my character over the years, I also realized that I needed to repent for allowing myself to become more impressed with the lives other people seem to be building for themselves than I was with the kingdom of God that he is building for eternity. And I, during this time, found myself again and again in Psalm 73 because that's like where David is when he's writing this song. He's like, these people out here just like doing the absolute most or at least doing their own thing and just like have it so good, have it so easy. Meanwhile, I'm like running for my actual literal life. Like what is up with this? Um, but that bitterness and frustration that can creep in along the way when the way starts to feel very long and the terrain starts to feel incredibly rough like you can choose in those moments to be honest with the Lord and to ask him to remind you of the benefit of walking with him. Because to be quite honest, I was getting to that point. Like I didn't, I felt like I was too far in to turn around, but it was also like, I felt like I had been promised something that wasn't being delivered and that I wasn't experiencing what I felt like I should experience as someone who was truly dedicated to discipleship in the way of Jesus. And then you start to look, though, at like the prophets and Jesus himself. And you're like, oh, like God's favorites kind of go through some stuff. So maybe I need to recalibrate my heart and my expectations. Um, and that brings me to the first Internet one liner, which is actually the distillation of all of those thoughts that came out during me journaling one day. So this particular one liner is something that is original to my own journal. And it's also an iteration of what I shared in episode seven of this podcast. And the statement is, <clears throat> I often want to be epic and elite. God wants me to be available. So episode seven, I talked about sustained and melting snowflakes and the fact that like, it's not our job to sustain ourselves and that like our worth and value doesn't come from being the best or the only. Um, we have worth and value even when we're not the best and even when we're not the only. So I had this thing where I wanted to be epic and I wanted to be elite, but what God most wants from me is my availability. And he has graciously invited all of us into a beautiful lifestyle of hiddenness in Christ and intimacy with him. He offers me a place right up near his throne at his feet. And what an honor that truly is when I can close my eyes long enough to see it. That sitting at the feet of Jesus is not merely preparation for the important things I need to be doing. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is the important thing I need to be doing. Availability is such a beautiful invitation and I believe it's the richest offering with which we can worship God. In Romans 12 verse one, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I think in our society, it has become really easy to fixate on titles and formalizing a call and pathway to vocational ministry 
to the point where we end up taming and confining God's idea of God's idea of an intention for discipleship and kingdom building. And what I mean by that is like, if you are trying to like put your finger on like, what is somebody's calling? And then you have this certain trajectory that comes to mind, or like if somebody has a role in a church, I've seen where sometimes people can start to feel like certain things are quote unquote outside their wheelhouse or not their job or beneath them or whatever. But God's idea of int- of like discipleship and kingdom building is servanthood. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I think it does as well to remember that and to not fixate on what do we look like serving God, but to really just focus on serving God and look to him and behold him and make even our eyes available to see the people that he puts in front of us and to see the assignments that he's asking us to fulfill. So it's helped me to think of it in terms of executive assistance. So like sometimes it can feel like God is inconsistent in what he's asking us to do or that he's like all over the place, but his leadership is perfect and his leadership can be trusted. I've worked as an executive assistant, whether or not I had that official title, I've been that in several different capacities. And so I understand how important a role it is, how much the person trusts you. And I also know what it feels like for them to be like, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And you start working on that. And they're like, actually, I need you to do, you know, ABC. And you're just kind of like, okay, like, can you figure out what is important? And I will do that. But the requirement on our end, when it comes to like our relationship with God and our assignment in the kingdom is to invest in developing sensitivity to his voice and his spirit so that we're sure it's him asking us to move from one thing to another and that it's not just our own boredom or insecurity or spiritual ADHD. And this necessitates margin and an unhurried pace of life. And both of those things I have come to find are worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for margin in your life, time-wise, relationship bandwidth, financial margin, and just living at an unhurried pace to where like, your agenda is always editable. Like if you wake up and you're like, I'm gonna do X, Y, Z today, to have a pace of life and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit where he's like, actually, can you just come sit with me? Can you pray for this person? Can you send this relative this gift in the mail? Like that is such a holy role to have to be able for God to be able to rely on you to encourage and love people. And when, when they're on his heart and that he can put them on your heart and that you have time and space and margin in your life to follow through with things instead of just be like, oh, I should call so-and-so or, oh, I should probably get them something at some point. It's like, no, let's do that today because people are important and you don't always know what they're going through and God could be very intentionally bringing them before your heart. So that's kind of a little bit of a tangent, but... <laughs> Back to like what I was thinking about like scripture wise, there have been seasons where I would be reading the Bible and I wondered at like God's methods early on in scripture, particularly with regard to sacrifices. Because like when you read through some of the old covenant requirements, the whole thing kind of sounds a lot like a cookout or like a barbecue. Like there's some passages where it talks about like the aroma of sacrifice reaching heaven. And when you read about like what they're actually doing, it seems like it would smell a lot like seasoned ribs and like fresh bread. 
And knowing that God never intended for there to be death or bleeding, it speaks volumes to me of his humility and his brilliance as a storyteller to write around the wrongs that ruined his first draft. So like he never intended for a lot of things to happen. And yet he is so humble and brilliant that he just keeps moving forward in the story with it. He doesn't like just scrap the whole thing, even though we can see in scripture that he has been tempted on more than one occasion to do just that. So <laughs> that being said, there are several passages of scripture in which God reminds us of his deeper longings and his ultimate desire. And when I was thinking about um, this truth about like what God actually wants and about availability and about us being living sacrifices, some of the verses that came to mind were in Hosea and 1 Samuel and Psalms. So I'm just going to read some of these and then, um, you know, just chat a little bit about what <clears throat> I felt like they conveyed to me. So in Hosea chapter 6, in verses 1 and 2 and verse 6, it's, so I'm skipping verses 3 through 5 just for time's sake, but it is still contextual. So if you want to read it for yourself, the whole passage is Hosea chapter 6 says, come and let us return in repentance to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but we, but he will bandage us. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. And in verse six, he says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And that phrase knowledge really conveys like intimacy, like knowing God in intimate relationship rather than just coming to him with cut up and burn up animals. And in 1 Samuel 15 is the passage where King Saul is like ruining his own life <laughs> by just doing the most, unfortunately. And Samuel, the prophet comes to Saul and says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And in Psalm 40, it says, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. And in each of these passages, it communicates that what God is actually after is availability. He wants volitional worship and wholehearted intimacy. His desire is for his family to be genuinely interested in and participate in and contribute to and enjoy the goodness of his creative love. And that's the way I want to be. I want to be someone who genuinely and wholeheartedly looks into the eyes of God and does willingly whatever he asks. And I used to think that that just meant being what I thought of as soft clay to work with. But in recent years, the Lord has shown me that it also includes wrestling. He wants me to have a will of my own that I willingly yield to his will and to trust that there is deeper intimacy as an outcome of honest wrestling with him. So like he created me with a personality with specific desires and with thoughts, you know, and like 
there are maybe even more often than not to start out with at least times where like what I want and my will is not the same as his. And like, it's not that he doesn't want me to have thoughts of my own. He wants me to trust him enough to like lay mine down and pick his up and to know that he's not going to forget about what I laid down at his feet, you know? So the other two internet one-liners that I thought of that I wanted to include in this episode are gems of wisdom that I scrolled across on Pinterest. (laughs) So one of them is be as you wish to seem. And I think this is contributed to Socrates or like some philosopher. And the other one is soften when you're tempted to be critical. So be as you wish to see and soften when you're tempted to be critical. So that last one, soften when you're tempted to be critical has been super helpful to me in my journey towards self-compassion and in being slow to anger. So as I mentioned earlier, I am by nature a judgmental individual (laughs) in the sense of like, I have strong feelings about a lot of things. I tend to believe that there is generally a right way and a wrong way to approach things. And I tend to prefer closure and conclusions to whatever the alternative of that would be, which often to me just seems like chaos. (laughs) And at times I have been easily agitated by imperfections and like, inanimate imperfections, you know, back to the whole thing about like quality and stuff and things. So having these two ribbons waft through my mind, one right after the other, immediately helps me like release tension when I find myself stressed and regain perspective. So like, be as you wish to seem. Do I wish to seem like I'm not easily upset? Okay, then don't be easily upset. You know what I mean? Like, do I wish to be seen as someone who is open and, you know, gives people space to be who they really are? Okay, well, soften when you're tempted to be critical. Um, it's a super practical way for me to inject humor into any moment also, which helps me lean into humility and become slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So I have found that like, when I am lacking humility, I also tend to be lacking humor and I'm taking myself or a situation way too seriously. So just finding something that I can, and not even like trying to make a joke out of everything. Cause some things in life are serious, but just have humor, you know, like God has a good sense of humor. So if you're struggling with humility, just find a little bit more humor in your life and that's going to help you out. And for softening when I'm tempted to be critical is like a really beautiful expression of the character of God in mercy and in grace that finds particular color and tenderness in femininity. So if I want to seem feminine, just be feminine. (laughs) Just be soft, be merciful, be compassionate with myself and other people. Um, And that helps the discipline of discipleship be brought into... Sorry, I had like a weird lisp there. The discipline of discipleship, it brings it into real space and time as opposed to it only existing as an ideological ideal and always something to aspire to as opposed to something to actually like become and start becoming. So like, I think it's awesome because you can catch the character of love like a stringed balloon and hold it with you today. Like you can tie it around your wrist or your waist and be uplifted into the remembrance that we are raised with Christ and seated in heavenly places. And I can be as I wish to seem, which is deeply rooted and hidden in Christ. 
In other news, I have been back on the dating apps and <laughs> one of the profiles that I swiped across had this last bonus internet one-liner that I'll leave you all with, which it said, life is worth sharing with a beautiful person, which is absolutely true. And Jesus is the fairest of them all. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast episode. I hope you have a great weekend and I will be back to chat to you soon. Bye.